Howdy. This is a uh, fuck. Welcome to the fail. Uh, no, no, I got this. I got this. All right. Welcome to the art of the fail. This is a podcast hosted by Christian Borgazan, co-founder of Bruja, and myself, Chris Buttonham, co-founder of Obi.ai. We chat with startups and entrepreneurs about their failures in hopes to uncover incredible lessons and unmask the stigma around failing today. <laughs> Nobody likes this shit. Let's just get started with the show. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Art of the Fail with myself and Chris Buttonham. Howdy. We're both excited for today's episode as we have a really special guest um, and someone who I've personally been following for a while now over social media, uh, Daniel Wallach. So, Daniel, welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Not Good to meet you, Daniel. Yep, great to meet you guys as well. <laughs> Do you want to start with uh, some fuck-ups of the recent days? Yeah, you? yeah, okay, I'll, I'll get into it. Mine isn't... Uh... I don't know. I would say my past ones have been a bit better than this one, but it's just something that's really top kinda, of, you, top you of mind. Don't yourself short, man. <laughs> <laughs> so lately, we have been we've been running into a bit of a bit of issues on our on our site, um, which is you know never never a good thing. There's always a lot of fires to put out, of course, when when that happens and. So what's happening right now is we've identified an issue. Thankfully, we've actually we've rectified it and fixed it. Uh, we just need to push the code for that. But what was happening is specifically on Mozilla Firefox, anyone who would create an event with us, it would set the status to null or zero, um, meaning that it wouldn't be showcased anywhere on our site unless you were the owner or the event organizer who was. Um, so this is a bug on Bruja. Yes, correct. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. So typically we have we have three statuses. You can either set your event to public, uh, private, or or a draft mode. And with this, for whatever reason, what was happening is it actually wouldn't even save them as any of any three of those, which is yeah. very weird, right? So it'd be it'd be stored in our database. It would be there. We could see that it was there. The organizer could see it because they were the owner of it. Right. But anyone else, so if they were they were pushing out the ticket to catch too. Yeah, so if they were pushing out the ticket link, it just the page wouldn't exist. And obviously, you know, <laughs> there was quite a bit of backfire on that one, so <laughs> we fixed that pretty quickly. All really really we we noticed a bit of a pattern coming in. Um so what we did on that is we just asked, you know, typical questions like what devices are you using, what browser are you using to see if we could identify um if there was something specific that that was in common and luckily we noticed that all of it lined up with anyone and everyone who was using Mozilla. And I think for I mean for us um, I know like every every company has this, especially every software company has this stuff come up and I think um, that stuff is only um, what strengthens our QA process absolutely and, yeah and deploy processes processes and stuff like that so, absolutely. I mean, we like, uh, yeah, that's a good point because we typically test across different devices and browsers, but now, you know, knowing that we've run into this issue yeah. a few times now, um, it, it just strengthen, strengthens that, like you said. Sure, sure. That makes sense. And how about yourself? Um, so mine, um, I'm not going to, I'm trying not to get too technical, but um, with my f current uh, fundraising process, um, I've I done something recently that I'll, I'll consider a fuck up, and and that um, is a lack of consistency. So usually when you're 
um, having conversations with investors, right? They will ask for collateral or um, different information for due diligence purposes and stuff like that. And um, what I did uh, properly before my starting fundraising I is I set up like a proper what's called a data room mm-hmm. and put, you know, all of the appropriate information pretty well. I'm, I'm, a, I'm pretty anal, so I was super well organized and everything. Um, but I never, I didn't lean on it enough. And investors ask for different things, right? And, right. and that's tricky. <laughs> so the learnings um, across the fundraising process is like understanding what the consistent see is. Because even when you, especially as a first-time founder, when you go out fundraising for the first time, um, you're not going to be able to predict exactly everything that is going to be needed in the um, the data room, right? Uh, especially as you as you convert between Canadian and U.S. conversations, for sure. Um, but yeah, that was like something I got hung up on was like not leveraging the data room and like being a little bit more firm and consistent with the material I was sending over, because mm-hmm. um, I found then it would cost me a ton of time. I would end up getting to a no anyways or something after two or three meetings when I could have just okay, here's what I've got, here's why, and, you know, this should be sufficient until we get, you know, at least a term sheet on the table or something like that. Right. Um, but I think, yeah, the lesson learned there is, is consistency. and For sure. Uh, but, yeah, that's I think that's about it for, for me. It's cool. a good one. Awesome. I think we're excited to... Uh, to hear from Daniel and uh, and some stories that yeah, uh, he's been brewing. For sure. And Daniel, I, I'm sure you've got a bunch of good stories for us. Um, as I pointed out earlier, and you know this personally, I've, I've been following you on social media for a while. You've been, you know, you've been featured anywhere and everywhere across the internet, uh, cool places and publications like Forbes, HuffPost, Inc., etc. Um, I'm sure everyone gets the point after hearing those three, right? But uh, yeah, why don't uh, why don't we let you take over and you hop right into it? Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, Daniel. Yeah, so uh, I'll first just sort of introduce myself to your audience. So I do customer acquisition and marketing. Uh, so I guess it's the same thing, but I focus on currently it's been B two B lead generation, which has been pretty fun. Before that, I worked in let's say entertainment. So I did branding and then marketing consulting for celebrity style clients oh, cool. and uh, that was all happenstance because I, I work with authors before that. It's sort of just one thing led to another and in the interim before like uh, doing B2B work, I did some startup work which ended up doing or me doing some venture work in New York City and so hearing your guys' conversation right there, I was like, oh, <laughs> I know those words. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a world you once yeah, lived in. Yeah, yeah you, you know it all too so. well. Yeah. Yeah, no, too much breathing of that. It, um, <laughs> it can be totally at times, good, yeah. The, the air can be hard to breathe sometimes, that's for sure. I was just sitting in the hall yesterday here at our, our startup incubator, and um, uh, this girl that uh, works for McMaster walked by, and she was like, uh, oh, hey, Chris. Oh, boy, you look tired. <laughs> was that was Thanks. that on a Monday? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not a great start to the yeah. week, eh? Yeah. But anyway, sorry to cut you off, Daniel. Which accelerator or incubator are you at? Uh, we're here. Both Christian and I are in a local incubator um, called the Forge out of Hamilton, Ontario. Um, and I I went through five hundred startups back in January down in in San Francisco. That makes complete sense. Got it. Yeah. I uh, I did some work out in New York. So I'm in New York right now. I worked 
with uh, Parsons. They have XRC Labs there. Okay. And then I also had friends, so I ended up being there like all the time at ERA, so Entrepreneurs Roundtable here in oh, New I've York. Oh, I've heard of that. Yep, I've heard of that. Yeah, no, they're pretty well known, I believe. Um, but yeah, it's been cool. And then the NYU eLab, which has their own accelerator, and I've just sort of helped students there and volunteered uh, a bit to, uh, you know, provide some marketing support. But uh, yeah, the startup world and the accelerator incubator world is a totally different life. It is. <laughs> it really <laughs> yes, it is. is. Yeah. It's very niche. Like I remember just because it was like a year or two ago when I was doing that, and like I wasn't uh, in part of it, if you will, like as a company, but I was serving as a marketing consultant to some yeah. of the companies at these places, and uh, it really is sectioned off from like the whole world. Like it is. It's it is. totally yeah. its own place. You're like in, you know this community or you don't. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You, you almost like at, at times, Chris, I, I mean, I'm sure you're the same way, but at times I feel like I'm in this giant bubble sometimes. And or a cult, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's exactly I how just, I felt. I, I just, you know, you, you got you to gotta pop that bubble sometimes. Graphic to see teas, the bigger picture. Uh, uh, craft beer and good coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'll go into a little bit about what I was going to talk about here. So cool. beyond like... So I do customer acquisition and marketing, and the number one thing I found in terms of failure has to do with me and the client. Mm -hmm. And so what will happen is when you start a marketing engagement with someone, specifically marketing I'd say, but other things as well, if the dependencies are not aligned and talked about and really made clear. So like for example, I might work with a client, and this is where the big like failing situations come in, and I say, or they say, and we go over before a contract, that I'm going to need landing pages for Google AdWords made by their web designer or their in-house team of designers or whatever it might be because that's not something I'm going to do. Like my company would specialize in the actual advertising of right. it, let's say. Right. And what would happen is if the company doesn't fulfill that and if I don't do my job to follow up and have a point of contact person, that's where I begin failing. And so I've worked with and so I sort of emailed you guys this, which is funny. I was like, how can I come on a show and talk about how I've, like, I've done really well for my clients. <laughs> and that's such a weird, like, it's so weird. I was just on, um, I don't know how much I can say about this, but I did an interview on Entrepreneur on Fire, which will come out in a month or two. Mm -hmm. And it was funny. I was talking about this same thing, like, oh, like, the worst thing that's happened is I drove someone too many leads. Like, that was basically the sentiment of what I was saying. But the underlying message I was trying to get across is I failed to align and clearly talk about the dependencies of a client so the actual results that I drove couldn't be handled. And that sounds dramatic, like, oh, like you drove someone so many leads, you destroyed, like hurt somebody's business, didn't destroy. Yeah. But really what's going on, it's not a question of me doing it or um, it could have been anyone in this situation really. It's pretty systematic when you have landing pages at work and things like that. But the problem was is having the like the dependencies. We go back to that same idea. I failed to properly go with the client through exactly what they were required to do. I didn't set up uh, you know, I should have qualified them further. They didn't have a correct sales process to sell to even if I were to get them, let's say I was only getting them ten new leads a month or twenty new leads a month. Very very low number of new inquiries. It would still be difficult if you didn't have a systematic process already in place. And so, you know, for me, I've always wanted to help people. And so it's weird, by the way, totally weird to go on podcasts because podcasters, like at least 
I don't know if you guys listen to some of the other major broadcasts, but people will like ask me business questions. Yeah. And not to say I'm not a business person, but like I did marketing and I do marketing because I like helping people. Yeah. Right. And so when I was in the face of this problem where I, I had succeeded in driving clients leads or revenue or, or some, or let's, let's just keep the lead problem because that goes to the dependency. Mm-hmm. If I had succeeded in that, that's, that's nice. But at the end of the day, if I wasn't, if I didn't clearly document and outline for them exactly what I was going to need for them, uh, for me, when that happened in this specific circumstance or another one, uh, I felt terrible because all I wanted was to make sure that everything was going well and help them. But really what ends up happening is if they can't handle, whether it's leads or whether it's getting things set up or it's the basic dependencies of making sure that the actual marketing execution processes go well. So another example I'll give on the same line, which, so if you guys go on the website, you guys have uh, Facebook tracking on your website? Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you guys have Google conversion, or sorry, conversion goals from Google? Uh, my growth guy would, would know better. I know we had the pixel at one point. Yeah. Do you guys, another example would be, uh, I actually have Twitter ads sitting on my screen right now, which is funny, <laughs> but do you have the Twitter conversion pixels on there at all? I don't, do you? That's, uh, I know I did at one point. I don't, I don't think I have the pixel there though. So no. I'm looking just as a total side story. I'm looking at my Twitter ads right now. I spent $45 in the last like little bit and I've driven 274 clicks for an average of 17 cents per click towards very targeted content. So if you're not using Twitter ads, I'm just going to give a total tip out here real quick. Yeah. Don't let Twitter do automatic bidding. It's crazy. They're like, they suggest I should pay $1 or $2 per click, mm-hmm. but I bid it down to 10 cents with manual bidding and I'm getting 8 cents per click and I got 125 clicks on something that was suggested for $1.70 uh, per click. Wow, oh, that's incredible. Wow. I've heard that Twitter... Uh, Twitter's attention is underrated when it comes to their their paid ads. It's completely underrated and undersaturated. Like, there's no one using it. What I like to do is I go and I literally, like, I'll take reply to the Reply app uh, software program, or I'll take mm-hmm. Forbes, I'll take anyone who has a niche audience, and I'll just take all targeting off and only target that audience in New York City or whatever it might be. So it might not be New York. I usually just target the whole audience worldwide in English. Mm-hmm. And then I'm already hitting people who are really interested in, uh, you can do this with people. So there's a writer at Forbes who I target his audience because I know his audience are interested in exactly the content I produce. Yeah, right. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, what gets more niche than literally targeting, I mean, some guy's audience with 2,000 engaged followers or whatever it might be. I love it personally. I like it too. I wanted. I want to go back for a minute, uh, Daniel, to uh, yeah. to this the previous story because I can relate to that. the The company I had before um, the company I'm I'm running now, I was kind of it was kind of like a digital agency, a small digital agency, and um, I mean one of the major fuck ups there was that I hated it. Uh, and I didn't anticipate that. <laughs> that sounds like the worst fuck up at all. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. I'd, I'd um, say that is. But but I, I, I resonate with you when you say, when you talk about dependencies, right, and, and doing your homework and, and um, 
and uh, and prospecting them um, and validate validating them enough up front because I had the reverse problem. You sound like you have the better fuck up in, in that you drove um, too much success. Um, whereas um, I wasn't aware of some of my clients' lack of resources or lack of knowledge in a particular area and I made a bunch of assumptions that essentially right. at the end of the day um, – didn't match up to the scope of work that they had in their head and and the scope of work that I obviously perceived was the truth and it ended up with some really tough discussions really really uh, at the end of the day <laughs> poor contracts right um, uh-huh. where um, the expectations just weren't lined up correctly and it wasn't necessarily any the quality of work or or, or you know the quality of the business on the other side of it but it was just merely about um, what, what their knowledge is and what their resources and capacity is uh, versus mine. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely resonate with what you're saying. And I'd love it if you could double click a little bit on, on the story and tell us a little bit more on a personal end um, what actually happened in that and, and dissect it. Because I don't think anyone is, is judging your uh, efficacy. I think that that's very clear. But I think there's some important learnings in that, in that anecdote. Yeah, so I'll go a little bit more in detail here. And what I think is interesting about the dependency idea is that we all knew about this concept. We just didn't know it until something happens that really, at least for me, I didn't know it until I saw so clearly that uh, it was something I needed to outline more clearly at the beginning. Sure. And so with this specific situation, everything looked great and everything was so promising like there was no red flags at all. Everything just looked great. And so So difficult you know, to see I, up front, right? That's that's tricky. It was very it's difficult. Always, yeah. And so then not only did it look great, but the campaign was going great. But and I'm also not taking it there were some unexpected circumstances with the clients travel and some things like that. But I should have known to qualify in the first place, which I didn't, that the sales team needs to be more separated from the owner because in this case, the owner was taking some of these calls because they're bigger deals. Mm, and, mm-hmm. you know, where it gets emotional or difficult for me, and it's so weird to talk about this too because it is like, oh, well, you drove all this success. But at the end of the day, it's really whether they're closing the deals. And yeah. if their sale, if I didn't qualify well enough and understand that, hey, you need another, you need another four U's. Like, there needs to be four sales staff who are trained on how to do this. And part of the problem is we're trying to create a sales um, protocols, like basically the, the sales protocols, while we were yeah. getting so many new leads. Well, that's and what that I was going to ask was it begs the yeah. question is whose job is it, right, yeah. on, on each stage of the funnel at yeah. that point, especially that's, if you're being contracted out. That's exactly what I was going to ask, too. And again, it all comes down exactly. to the dependencies and I, I think even – like you both said in, in both of your stories there, it's just having consistent communication at all times is, is crucial um, for sure. And obviously, you know, hindsight, hindsight's always 20, mm-hmm. 20, And that's right? why we do this. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I want to move into this metaphor. This isn't my metaphor. It's Dennis Yu's like analogy, you could say. Okay. You guys can hear me all right. Yep. Yep. Perfectly. Oh, like buzzed or something a second there. But, uh, so this is Dennis Yu, who I flew out to Phoenix, and I worked with him for a few days, and he is he's just incredible. He's 
And then his clients are like the Golden State Warriors, his company's clients. But uh, so to go into what he was talking about in that metaphor, because it really solves. If you treat what you're doing, and I should have done this, and this is where I failed, like you are an emergency room. Emergency rooms are the ultimate inbound vehicle he talked about because they have specific protocols. You don't just walk in and say, you know, I want to see the brain surgery. Like, they don't let people diagnose themselves. That doesn't happen. In the same way when leads come through my funnel, I'm diagnosing them. And in this case, I didn't ask ample questions to effectively diagnose and see if they were actually qualified for the surgery that we were about to embark on. Mm -hmm. That's a great metaphor. It's not my metaphor. That's why I give them all the credit. But it's the most genius. It is like the most genius thing ever because if you clearly define who you can serve, what you can serve them, what qualifications they need to have to actually see success with your business, I mean, working with you as a marketer or a creative or whatever it is, right. the problem I had, which sounds, I still like, I feel bad that it sounds like a good problem because I don't think it is uh, in regards that it didn't make the full funnel easy it made the upfront of the funnel easy which was getting leads that's fine but that doesn't matter at the end of the day if the sales processes aren't in line and i i misqualified and i yeah so that was a lot but that's uh a, the emergency really metaphor is great yeah no i really like that um now it completely up to you in the direction that we had daniel but uh i know christian was mentioning to me that you had you had a another story on a completely different wavelength. Is that something you wanted to dig into? I could talk about that for a little bit, yeah. Okay. Why don't you give us, give us some context here? Yeah, so while this whole marketing thing is going on, and once again, I, I sort of, not to like rail on the other podcasts, but I don't think there's a lot of interesting answers that come out of the general business questions because mm -hmm. a lot of people repeat the same things. I agree. Um, there's not much to say, like, how, I mean, how did you get interested in your business is a good one. Like, how did this start? But if it's like, what Sounds are your like goals? Story to me. Like, yeah. Um, in terms of this, like, so I have seven life-threatening heart conditions. Jesus. And wow. it's been pretty intense. And, like, I started marketing because I was in the hospital and I was sick. I was really sick. And I was getting a surgery around 13 and a half or maybe 14. And that was an open heart surgery. And during that time, I, I'd already worked playing around building on HTML and CSS and just sort of playing around on the internet. I really had no idea what I was doing. I believe I was using web.com or another one of these, but I don't exactly remember what. And I remember I started playing with Dreamweaver all the time. And before Dreamweaver... <laughs> That's how I started too. Yeah, I didn't even know it existed, so I was just writing it on paper. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, whole, like, like, why didn't I know about this, basically, when I found Dreamweaver? <laughs> but, um, you know, I found Neil Patel and some of these other guys' blogs, and I just started reading. And I built my own little free games website that I promoted, and I quickly learned that, you know, you'd see whatever 20 people on your website, 30 people live online playing games on your site. And it just got me really excited. And I think that marketing for me, and I'm seeing this more and more, which is funny, it's almost emotional, like, it's almost like an emotional vehicle for me. Mm -hmm. Because when I couldn't connect with other people, when I didn't go to school, 
when I was having heart surgeries, I sat on the computer and I could build something that helped other people. I like that. Yeah, I think um, it's an incredible sort of uh, lesson to be derived from when bad things happen. You have two directions you can take. You know, you're dealt a, you're dealt a certain uh, hand. You can dwell on it. Yeah. Um, or you can use the resources that are at your disposal and, and try to make the best of it. And, and I think we live in an age now where that's infinitely more possible. For um, sure. And, and that's an incredible story. Yeah. And, and Daniel, obviously it sounds like, um, and for sure for you, it's definitely the latter on that. Um, I think, yeah, that story is just pretty incredible. Um, I mean, after that, so after you got started in, in marketing, um, and, you know, going through your surgery and all that, what, what was, what was that like getting, getting into business, um, with those, those conditions? Like, did you find that at times it was very hard for yourself um, to, to get past that? I'd say it's more of a overarching thing in my life. So whether it's business or relationships or going to school and being a student, it's just something I live with. And so I, I imagine people are like, well, how does someone work for 50 companies in two or three years or whatever it might be? And like, I work really quickly and I do what I like which is this. And it's because I, I'm just excited about it. I can't stop working. And so I think one of the ways that the heart conditions has benefited my life, besides all of the stuff that's been incredibly difficult, has been, you know, I really work every day to go and do what I love and am excited about it. And I, I don't even say I do almost. Like I say that, but I can't stop. Like it's not like an obsession. It's like something where I just... You know, someone might like walking each day, and right. I just can't help but like engaging in this way. Right. And so I think it's funny that I did this for so long, and only in the past six or eight months has anyone heard of me at all. Like, all of this I was doing with all these different companies and projects, quietly, just because I enjoyed it, and then I slowly realized that this actually could be something I do with my life. Even though, obviously, at the time, like, you know... The company was doing well. The business was doing well. Uh, but I didn't understand to the extent that it was still something that was feasible for me to live my life doing, especially publicly. It was more of a passion project, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I th you've heard time and time again, I'm sure, like I have, that the, the best things in the world have come out of uh, just having a, a strong passion for it. And especially in this space, I mean... You have to be, you kind of have to be, because there's, there's lows too. There's, a, there's plenty of lows like you're describing, right? And, and, uh, and the way to get over that is just pure passion. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, if you, if you're not truly passionate about what you're doing and you're going through these, you know, as Chris touched on these, these very, these low lows, then it's, you know, that's a blockade, right? For yourself, like it's going to be very tough to, to get past that. So, I mean, for yourself, the fact that you found something, that you are extremely passionate about, that's awesome. And and I love the fact that it came out of that, those hurdles. Right. Um, I think like for uh, for my company, um, the the good that we we've created today has come out of hurdles from the past. For sure. The pivots for and sure. iterations, and like I was just watching this really really 
awesome interview with uh, Stuart Butterfield last night um, about uh, he's the CEO uh, and founder of Slack and Mm. he was uh, talking about the, the it was around product but um, if anyone knows the slack story you should look it up it's fascinating he uh, Stuart Butterfield founded Flickr before he founded slack so it's, he's done this before but he the only reason he founded Flickr and the only reason he founded slack was because he tried for I don't know like uh, accumulation of six or seven years to build this fucking multiplayer um game and it every time it turned it ended up turning into something that was not even close to it but it right it was mm. the success right um i get like this last game that they were working on they had like raised like three million from Andreessen horowitz or whatever and it was all based on the back end of irc if anyone's familiar with the old internet internet relay chat and um when it ended up not not working he had a little bit of money left in the bank he went to Andreessen and said hey uh we fucked up it's not gonna work again and do you want your money back and they said no no no, just go try and build something and they built slack wow <laughs> um, no way yeah so like i think that well again not to beat a dead horse but that's why we do this is to you know uncover these stories and these anecdotes because i think that um uh, like like Stuart says, nothing is replicable. But if you learn um, and and are able to th- uh, flourish from some of these these uh, learnings and hardships and things like that, I think that's where some real real value is sitting. So anyway, Daniel, we appreciate you so much for coming on. It was mm-hmm. an excellent yeah, conversation. Um, love to stay in touch. Uh, is there anything else that uh, that you want to share uh, with us before uh, before we head off? Yeah, um, I think people, so there is, there's a whole nother conversation we had about the low barrier of entry to things like internet marketing, Sure. but beyond that conversation, because that's like another hour episode or something, <laughs> I would say we'll have you that, on again. <laughs> I mean, I'll be back, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I would say that if you're interested in doing internet marketing or th- whatever it might be, there's tons of people who are willing to mentor and help you out. And if you're interested in doing that stuff, whatever it might be, the way I've been able to do what I've done, and you probably hear this a lot if you're anyone, is I reached out to some really uh, people I really admired. And I didn't reach out and ask them for mentorship. I just told them I love their work. And I shared their work on Facebook. And I tweeted it. And I showed them publicly that I was really committed to what they were offering and what they were sharing. And so what ends up happening is I've been able to build relationships and learn from those people. And so if you're interested in whatever it might be, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people who are willing to teach you for free if you can help them and show them you're committed. People like helping each other. So I'm just leaving with that message because I think it's important that this isn't all out of reach. It's all stuff like, I mean, in terms of mentorship or some of the stuff I or you guys might be doing. There's people who want to help you. Um, yeah, no, there is. I, I, I've spoken a lot about this, and uh, I feel very passionate about that. And um, Christian and I were actually just talking before we got on air about um, value creation, and, yeah. and really that that is the variable in in marketing, at least from our humble opinions uh, of what you know separates uh, the winners from the losers is value creation and you you hit the nail on the head there i think there's a lot of people out there uh not i think i know just firsthand um 
really smart people that have done things that are willing to help you for free, by the way. That's mm-hmm. my advice. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily pay anybody to be a mentor or advisor. Um, uh, and, and even better if you can create value for them. Exactly. Yeah. At the end of the day, and, and I think this is a really good point to leave off uh, the episode with is value creation. That's value, a, how value, can you value. add value um, for someone? Daniel, like you said too, like rather than, you know, people just ask, 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 yeah. ask, ask, right? Like genuinely how Daniel do I created create a career out of it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. Thanks, Daniel. Yep. Thank you guys. Have yourself a great day. You too.